Hopefully you've got an outline there that uh, will help. I don't know if any of us have seen the movie Love Actually. Put your hand up if, if you've seen the movie Love Actually. Okay, that's, um, that's impressive that you would admit publicly that you've seen a Hugh Grant movie. Now, what's even uh, more intriguing is, let, let me try this one. How, put your hand up if you've seen the movie Love Actually multiple times. Okay, that's, that's interesting, is it? It's that those who have seen it have seen it quite a number of times. And that's because it's quite an interesting movie. It's a funny movie. And I think the reason people like this, and I, I would admit I don't like watching movies twice, but I've watched this, I think, three times. And I think the reason why the movie works on a number of uh, viewings is because it captures a number of different relationships. In fact, there are nine different relationships in the movie Love, actually. And my favourite is between Colin Firth. Now, I know the ladies will be very sympathetic to this one. Colin Firth and uh, his character is called Jamie and his Portuguese housekeeper. You know the one? She, uh, I, I've got a slide up, but it's, we're not working with slides or anything electronic this afternoon. But uh, Jamie is a writer, and he goes on a writing retreat for a number of months in Portugal, and he has a housekeeper who looks after him. And this housekeeper is an attractive young woman, but she can't speak English, and he can't speak a word of Portuguese. But their relationship develops. But not a word that is uttered by either Jamie or Aurelia is the Portuguese woman, not a word that is uttered is understood. And so we, as the viewers, see through these captions the expression of their thoughts and their feelings. He says, Colin Firth's character says, it's my favourite time of the day driving you, and then she thinks back, it's the saddest part of my day leaving you. This couple are, are bonding. They're starting to connect, but they haven't uttered a word to each other. Isn't that odd? What's the general wisdom when it comes to relationships? How do relationships work? What's the key? What do people say is the key? Communication. Communication. Right. And yet, at least in this character, they've not communicated a word. Not, word, not one word has been understood. And yet it's believable, we like the movie, it's believable because this kind of relationship develops despite the lack of communication. Last week, as we opened up the book of 1 John, I established really the intellectual credibility of Christianity in the light of other religions. And tonight what I want to do is springboard off that reality and show us that Christianity not only makes intellectual sense but it also makes deep emotional sense. We saw last week that John, who writes this book, he's an apostle of Jesus who has seen 
and heard Jesus. Why don't you open up to 1 John chapter 1. You'll see he starts this letter with these beautifully poetic words, and I think they're poetic because he wants us to remember. Poetry is often a way of remembering things. He wants us to remember his encounter with Jesus. We saw last week that John encountered not a myth of Jesus. He didn't encounter an idea of Jesus. Who did he encounter? Encountered the real deal, the person of Jesus. Have a look there in verse 1. He says, that which we have seen and heard, and not simply like you see and hear in a crowd, but that which we touched and interacted with and that which we looked upon I think is the sense of investigation and examined John is John encountered the historic real human person of Jesus we also saw last week that it's quite possible the reason that this letter was written was because a threat had come before the early church. And it wasn't a threat external, but it was a threat internal. It could have well been that those in the first century had thought that, well, Christianity, as it stood, wasn't relevant anymore. And it was probable that they didn't think it was relevant because yeah, we get the idea that, yes, it's all about Jesus, but the problem is, towards the end of the last century, obviously, Jesus wasn't around. He's ascended into heaven. He's with the Father. And so what Christianity needs is an update. This was what they faced in the first century, and you can see that this is also what we face in the 21st century. But John says no. He said no to the update in the first century, and I think he says to us today no. And so what he's going to do, and what he did for the early church, and what he does as we read this book is he is dragging us before the face of Jesus, right up into the person and the reality of Jesus. And so we established that fact. I talked at length about it. About how we can, uh, about how the early uh, disciples and apostles witnessed Jesus, how um, the fact of a witness can be verified, and um, there's plenty of material that you can read. If you'd like to read more on this, I've got there's heaps of books in the library, and so we established that fact. But what I want to do this afternoon is I I want to build on that fact because it's not simply a fact to be understood that Jesus was an historic person. What John also wants us to realise is that this historic person is to be encountered. This historic person is to be met. And so the fact has a goal. Jesus was a man that lived. This is attested to. He was witnessed by those who wrote of him. But that in itself is not enough. That's a fact. John wants to show us the goal, and the goal's there in verse 3. Have a look there in verse 3 of John, of 1 John chapter 1. He says, We proclaim to you 
what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. See the goal there? The goal is fellowship. In fact, in verse 3, you'll notice there that that word fellowship is mentioned twice. The whole point is what, what John is saying here. The whole point of God revealing himself in the person of Jesus is fellowship. Because he is a historic reality, but he is a person to be encountered. And also what we're going to see, it's a reality to be expressed. Because the word fellowship uh, has come become quite fuzzy in Christian usage. It's kind of a hockey term for any kind of Christian get-together, isn't it? We, we talk about a youth fellowship, a men's fellowship. We talk about a fellowship lunch, a fellowship brunch, a fellowship breakfast. We talk about after the service we'll continue our fellowship. But as John is speaking here about fellowship, he's not primarily speaking about the nature of human relationships as we relate to one another. He's speaking of something far more profound, and it will affect human relationships in the most profound way. Because I think John's thinking back when he was a younger man. That's what old men do. They imagine themselves when they were young. Is that right for those of us who are older and male here? Any of those listening? Is that true? Tend to think back to the past? Wouldn't know, wouldn't know. That's right. Wouldn't know. I think John is, he's definitely an old man. He's a man uh, at least in his 90s, perhaps even past the uh, ripe age of 100 as he writes this letter. And in his younger days, we read from the Gospels that John was, in fact, as we know, a fisherman. He was in the fishing trade with his father Zebedee and his brother James. And this family were all shareholders in this family business. And there's a couple of people here who run businesses. And the nature of his business wasn't... The nature of his, uh, his partnership in this business, John, wasn't that he was a silent partner, you know, from afar. He was the kind of partner who got his hands dirty in the day-to-day, week-to-week reality of fishing. And, at the, and, and this... this this partnership that John was involved in, this family uh, business, I think would have been at the very core of who he was. I mean, it provided for him in just a very practical of ways, food and money. But it also would have been his sense of identity, like what was important to him about who he was as a person. The word that's used here to speak of fellowship is the same word that's used to speak of a business partnership. John was in the fellowship of running this fishing boat. He was tied with his family members in this work. But he left. He left that fellowship. He left that partnership. But he he didn't leave it 
to exist in no in an absence of fellowship. He left it to enter a new partnership, a new fellowship as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ with a new purpose and a new identity. And so the word fellowship has this has this kind of relational connection to it. It's about who you're associated with in deep relational ways. And those deep relational realities create activities. And so the idea of fellowship isn't merely kind of Christians having a cup of tea after church. The concept of fellowship in the scriptures is not less than that, but it's far more. It's not simply what Christians happen to be doing, but who they are relating to. Because John tells us what the origins of this new fellowship, this new business that he has entered into are. Have a look there in 1 John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Because John gives us a clue. He's speaking, in fact, of the relationship of father and son. The father and the son, in John's mind, are in fellowship. The eternal God, who is father, and the eternal God, who is son, are in fellowship with one another. They're partners and partakers of the same life. And what kind of life is that? Well, you see there in verse 2, it's an eternal life. You know, if I was to ask you the question, do you want eternal life? If you would ask me the question, do I want eternal life? Well, sometimes I'm not quite sure. I don't want eternal life. I just want to get through tomorrow. You know, eternal life seems like a little too far future orientated. And so often when we read the reality of eternal life, it's it's something that, yes, we might know is important because we think it's kind of speaking merely of the quantity of life. But when the scriptures speak about eternal life, it's not merely the quantity of life that they are speaking about, it's the, it's the quality of life. Uh, as I read from Psalm 36, God is described as the fountain of life. And here in 1 John chapter 1, John is equating eternal life with the true God. In our reading um, that Sienna read, to us. Jesus says this in John chapter 17 verse 2, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they might know you. See in Jesus' mind what eternal life is? Eternal life is that they might know the Father. Eternal life is about a relational connection with God. It's not merely something for a long time. It's about a quality, a quality of life. So that's the origins of fellowship. And here, what, we, uh, what the scriptures come to help us understand is that within God himself... Within this fellowship, within this partnership, within his very life as Father, Son and 
Holy Spirit is a self-producing, self-communicating reality. The Father initiates the relationship with his Son, we read in John chapter 17. And the Son, the Son responds in loving obedience to his Father. And so God in himself, as three persons, gives to one another. They give in this sharing of their life. They give in this fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because God is a fellowship in and of himself. He's not lonely because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relating to one another. And they've been relating to one another in perfect love from all of eternity. That is who God is. And yet, John wants us to understand one more step. And it's a crucial step there in verse 3. That just as God is a fellowship, what we have in the Lord Jesus and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is an invitation to share in this very fellowship that God has himself. Have a look there in verse 3, that second bit. He says, and our fellowship is with the Father. And with his son, Jesus Christ. As remarkable as it is that within God there is this relationship of father and son. So here is this invitation for us to share. To share in that life of God. Just that the way the father relates to the son. That relationship of fellowship is something that in the Lord Jesus, we are brought into, that we now start to experience. Because the life of God has been perfectly embodied in the person of Jesus. And John is saying very clearly here that in Jesus, this eternal, perfect, divine fellowship is now being manifest, shown, revealed. And so when someone comes to trust in the Lord Jesus, they come to share in this life, in this life and in this relationship. Because all Jesus' words, all Jesus' actions, his love and his obedience was manifesting who God was. And so when we encounter Jesus, we are encountering the very life of God. And this is what John is saying. He's telling them because he wants them to share in this reality. He shares in it and he's writing to them because he wants them to share in it too. He says there, verse 3 at the start, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. You see, the reality was that Well, it's all very well, John, for you to have fellowship with Jesus. You saw him. You lived with him. You heard him. You touched him. Who here has seen Jesus? No one. Who in the first century, towards the late first century, had heard Jesus touched him? Well, I think very few and probably no one that John is writing to. You see, John is inviting those who haven't seen for themselves into this same fellowship. He's inviting those in the first century into that reality and he's inviting us as well to experience who God is. I met 
a, uh, an idol of mine, and I mean that uh, in inverted commas yesterday, uh, I went to a barbecue festival. A couple of guys here went with me and um, I did have a picture up on the screen, um, but I met the world's most famous barbecue, and some of you I know kind of not particularly excited about that, and uh, some of you won't be able to even see it, but here it is. Uh, this man's name is Mo Kaysen. Put your hand up if you've heard of Mo Kaysen, don't expect it. Oh, yeah, look, yep. Number of us have heard, I met him, and I was giddy, and these, you ask these guys, I, I was giddy with excitement. It was incredible. I mean, it was just amazing. It was, about for, it was probably for 30 seconds, maybe less than. Andrew, 20, 20, 10, okay. And I was giddy with excitement. But the reality is that Mo doesn't know me. Doesn't know me from a bar of soap. Don't think he was particularly interested in me. But what we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus is God in himself. God in himself, who has come to us in the person of Jesus. And the Lord Jesus, in the gospel, invites us to participate in his life, the life that he shares with the Father. And so when we trust in Jesus, he takes us into that relationship that he has with the Father. I mean, I was giddy, overcome, just to meet this man mountain. He's He's such a solid guy. He's such a lovely man, and it was a very, very touching thing for me. But that's nothing. That would be nothing compared to meeting the Lord Jesus. And hear what John is saying. He's asking us to come and meet the Lord Jesus in his word. He's he's asking us, to be giddy, to be over the top with excitement because we don't just meet one person who's interested in us. We meet God himself who's inviting us into his eternal life. And this is why there in verse 4, he wants those that he writes to, he wants their joy to be complete because that's what happens when you encounter people. It's a joyous thing. Relationships give us joy. And there's no more joyful relationship than that with the God who has made us. And this God who has made us knows us. You see, last week I emphasised the reality that we can know God. You know, God who is up there, out there, this massive reality. How can you know someone who is so beyond us? Well, we can in the person of Jesus. But what I want to say tonight is that as wonderful as it is that we can know Jesus, I think there's something even more wonderful than us knowing Jesus. And that's him knowing us. There's been a lot of thinking in the last 10 or 15 years. We've got a registered psychologist here. She'll be able to correct me, as sometimes she does. Uh, in the appreciation for how relationships work, it was in the 80s, it was all about communication. Uh, in the last 10 or so years, uh, the catchphrase or the one word that's often been spoken about in the nature of relationships, the way in which relationships grow and function well is with this key ingredient. Does anyone know it? And I'll prevent Erin from answering this. 
What's that, Andrew? Yeah, well, you're married to her, so just let anyone else? Okay, we'll go for you, Andrew. Vulnerability. What? Yes. Yeah, I, I, that, that is, it's very much tied to that. Empathy. Empathy. Because a relationship requires more than just understanding. It requires empathy. Because empathy says, I'm not just for you, but I'm with you. And John is inviting us into the reality of who he is, of who God is. And he invites us into a reality of a God who, in Hebrews we are told, sympathises with us. And I think the range of ways for which he sympathises with us can be understood as a form of empathy. Because there's no greater power than someone saying, I know what that's like. And there's no greater act of empathy than God coming to us in the person of Jesus. You see, we can know Jesus because he was a historic reality. He was a person who we can get to know. But more than that, he knows us. He went through every human experience. He went through the whole range of human experiences so that he might say to us, I know what that's like. So that he might say to us, me too. I know that for some of us, we suffer from depression. But the reality is that the Lord Jesus himself was overcome emotionally. And so Jesus says to those who are struggling with depression, me too. I know that some of us, are anxious now. I know that some of us have struggled with anxiety. Do you know that Jesus himself, in moments of utter anxiety, the scriptures tell us, sweated drops of blood. And so if you are anxious, the Lord Jesus says to you, me too. I know that some of us, from time to time, perhaps now, are lonely. We feel isolated. Do you know the Lord Jesus felt lonely? And so in your moments of loneliness, he says to us, me too. Some of us feel poor and unsatisfied in hunger, and Jesus says, me too. Some of us have lost friends and loved ones, and Jesus says, me too. You see, Jesus came into our world. The gospel invites us into fellowship with him. And when we trust in the Lord Jesus, we're united with him. And so we share in this divine life. But just because we share in this divine life doesn't mean that God himself doesn't understand us. In fact, he understands every moment of our life and he calls us. He calls us to him in our loneliness, in our despair. And he asks us to find the joy in him. I'm going to close by reminding us the richness of our fellowship. You see, the richness of our fellowship is expressed as we have a cup of tea. It's wonderful as we meet up during the week, as we share the burdens of one another's lives, as we get to know one another. But the richest 
expression of our fellowship is not in these activities. Actually, the richest expression of our fellowship is right here, right now. Here, as we gather to worship God, where his word is proclaimed, where we respond in praise and prayer, this is our deepest fellowship. Because it's God's word that establishes our fellowship with him. And it's God's word that reminds us that if we have fellowship with him, then we also have fellowship with one another. So I want to call you to enjoy the fellowship, to enjoy the fellowship that we have here as God's word is proclaimed. And I want you to proclaim the word over your relationships because what the word does is it establishes reality. The word of God reminds us of our relationship with him and therefore of our relationship with one another. So I'm going to close with these words from 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to ask that you may have fellowship with me and that I might have fellowship with you. And because of this wonderful reality, we might be reminded of our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to...